for our scripture reading this morning, turn with me to the book of Philippians. Paul's epistle or letter to the Philippians. I'll also use chapter 1 as my text this morning. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to thank this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment or understanding that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. You will turn back with me to Philippians chapter 1. I want to speak from several of these verses and then hopefully emphasize verse 6. In most of Paul's epistles, he begins his letter with the words, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. You can't have one without the other. And there's nothing that I want more to say to anyone that I'm given the privilege of preaching to than to say to them with some confidence Grace and peace be unto you. Paul had confidence in these people. He had them in his heart. He saw evidence of their salvation. He said, I pray for you without ceasing. You're on my mind. Your face is before my eyes all the time. 
I don't go in my study and just sit in there and study. I have your faces. I have people that come in here, actual people on my mind and in my heart that I want to preach to. And I know sometimes it just seems like, boy, it's the same old stuff. You're just preaching the same. There's nothing I want to tell you more than grace and peace be unto you. <laughs> nothing more I want to say to you. But there's some things that has to happen. There's some things you have to know. And I have to say those things and then I have to wait. I can't do anything about it. I have to wait on the Lord. Only the Lord can do these things. He opens the heart. He opens the mind. He teaches in such a way as He drives it home. All I can do is spit out facts. And I'm talking about at the best. That's all I can do. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I, we don't much think about that, do we? We think about Jesus. We think about that little baby around Christmas time. They've got little models of him put out there in the manger and we see pictures of him in his humility and crown of thorns. And Jesus Christ is Lord. I, I tell you, if that ever goes home, if God ever reveals that to you, He's Lord, Winston. Absolute Lord. He's Lord of the dead and Lord of the living. No man liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself. Whether you live or die, you're the Lord. What's the Lord going to do with me? That's the question. What's my Lord going to do with me? He'd be just if he didn't do anything. Believers know that. They justify God in that. David said, I'm on your side in my own judgment. He ought to send me to hell. I'm a sinner. The amazing thing is that he didn't. Oh, my soul, peace from God our Father. Is God our Father? He is, if you can believe. He is. There's no other way to know. Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women are not born in communion with God. I've heard that so often at a birth. Uh, I heard it from my in-laws at the birth of my own grandchildren probably said it at the birth of my own before I knew God. Talked about how innocent this little baby is. Not before God. Not before God. He's not innocent. Men and women are not born in communion with God. Our lives do not begin in innocence and then go south somewhere along the way. But that's what religion says. He says when you reach the age of accountability, whenever that is, and then you make bad decisions, and now you're at enmity with God. You're, you're, that's just not so. Scripture said the wicked are estranged from the womb. 
removed from a relationship, set off at a distance. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. I didn't say that. The Holy Ghost said that. Oh, to be able by the grace and mercy of God to look you in the eyes and with some confidence say to you, grace and peace be unto you. God done something for you. God done something for you. He's arranged in His providence for you to hear. And then He gave you ears to hear. I hear what you're saying. I see it in the Word of God. I'm convinced of it. I'm convicted of it. From a holy and righteous and just God, from a sovereign, unchangeable and eternal God, from a God that carnal minds are enmity against, filled with hostility. I've had people tell me, Preacher, I don't hate God. You do if you don't obey Him. You do if you don't love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what, and what of, let's just say the Lord did love you. Let's just use that for a minute. The Lord did love you. And He comes and He brings salvation with Him and He said, here it is. And you pull the shoulder. That's how the prophet describes our own. We pull the shoulder. We don't hate God. Yeah, we do. We don't hate God. You don't? Why don't you obey Him? Why won't you hear His gospel and rejoice? Why won't you submit to His means? Why do you question His authority? Why don't you love His Son? We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. He said, if God was your Father, you'd love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. This is God standing before you, and you hate my guts. Why won't you bow to His Word? I know you have every reason to disbelieve me, but you don't have any reason to disbelieve God. None. There's no excuse. He told His disciples, go into all the world and preach My Gospel. Preach it to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now I'll tell you, when God says shall, He means shall. He don't mean maybe. He means shall. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. And he said, this is the condemnation. You, you want to know what condemnation of God is in this world? This is condemnation. Light come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light. In him was life, the scripture said. Eternal life, everlasting life, the very life of God. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in His face. 
It was the life of men. Now listen to this. John 1 verse 5. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. God sent a man. John the Baptist. He was sent for a witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And God sends preachers all over the world. Apostles, evangelists, his ascension gifts to men. He came into the world, a world made by him and for him, a world uh, stamped with his name. His name stamped everywhere. His name and purpose in the world knew him not. John 1.11, he came unto his own, a people he chose and set apart and gave his word to, and his own received him not. But, as many as received him, who are they? Who are they? Who received him? The world wouldn't. His own wouldn't. Who are these? Who, who did receive it? People with ears to hear. People with eyes to see. People stripped of all their confidence in the flesh. People shut up to Christ. People He chose and made provision for before the world was. He said, but as many as received Him. How come they received Him and nobody else did? Here's why. To them... Gave he power. I asked a man one time, I said, is that talking about ability or permission? And he said, yes. <laughs> talking about both. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's why they believe. God enabled them to. And how does it begin? It begins in God's providence. God arranges His providence for you to hear. It never ceases to amaze me. Somebody will come through the door one day and sit down. Sometimes they hear and walk out. Sometimes they hear and they stay. But God in His providence arranges a hearing. Paul preached at Antioch and the Jews got angry and they all left and even the chief women among the Jews spread rumors about it. Put the apostles in a bad light. But the Gentiles said, we won't hear you again. And Paul said to the Jews, he said, seeing you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting light, behold, I turn to the Gentiles. And he quoted an Old Testament scripture talking about the Gentiles. And boy, when they heard that, they was glad. The heathen was glad. God, they saw in the Scripture where God made provision for them. For them. And they was glad. And you know what it says? As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. believed. To them gave He power to become sons of God. John Kent, I was reading some hymns to 
my wife this week and one of them, one of the verses in the hymn is talking about pleading the promises of God. And the one verse reads, Till thou shalt o'er the waters move, Twill but a barren season prove. Lifeless and cold will be the song, The preacher dull and the service long, If God don't move. But I tell you, He does move. He does move. I heard a man preach. I'd heard him a thousand times. I heard that man preach that night. I'm telling you, it was like God was standing there talking to me through this man. Paul could sit in his prison cell and pen this wonderful letter to the church with this confidence. Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. Has he? Has he? You hear? You hear him? You know how many people preaching the gospel that I'm preaching to you this morning? A handful. Travel thousands of miles out, you'll find a handful. On the internet, there ain't but two handfuls over all the world. And surely in a day where with computer knowledge and fast knowledge, somebody would acknowledge this message somewhere if they believed it. He begun a good work. You hear? That's the beginning. What will you do with it? You know, he tells us in Hebrews three, he said, Don't don't be like those folks over in the wilderness. Hardened their heart, wouldn't listen. God was teaching them. Made for them a tabernacle, made for them all these types and symbols, was teaching them how to worship, teaching them about Christ. But they wouldn't hear it. Hardened not, he said, today is the day of Sabbath. What day? That day when in his providence he brings you to here. That's the day. That's the day. Don't turn your back on it. Don't throw it away. Don't harden your heart like they did in the provocation. Oh, my soul. Paul could sit there being confident, he said, of this very thing. He which hath begun a good work in you. And if he does, if he does, he'll perform it to the end. To the day of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord willing, I want us to see four things in this text here in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. I want you to see the beginning of the work. You may not know it, but if God leaves you to yourself, there's no possibility of salvation. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out here with natural reasoning. You're going to look around and you're going to look at this work and that work and some other work and you're going to... Find one that appeals to you, whatever it is, it be intellectual, formal, or informal, or whatever it is, you're going to find something that appeals to you, you're going to join up, and you're going to wake up in hell. That's exactly what's going to happen. If God leaves us to ourselves, there's no possibility of salvation. And you might well achieve a renown in your family. You may well make your mark on society. 
You may finish your days in service to some religion as a preacher, teacher, deacon, or elder. You may do anything that any other man has done, but without an intervention of God, without God's intervention, you'll die in your sins. You'll self-destruct. When Paul described those under sin, he said destruction and misery are in their ways. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is what? Destruction. He's going to self-destruct. But if God set His eternal life, mercy on you, set His heart of love upon you, determined His purpose of grace for you and on you, there'll be a work begun in you. He'll do it. And it'll be effectual. You'll kick. You'll squirm. But it won't do you any good. You can't get it out. You can't get that message out of your heart. You can't get it out of your mind. You think about it day and night and you go on and you try to work, but it won't leave. It just keeps nagging. It's there and I'm telling you, it's effectual. It's effectual. The Lord unhorsed that proud rebel Paul and threw him in the dust. Oh, Saul of Tarsus, there he lay in the mud. He looked up and saw this bright light and heard this voice. And the Lord said to him, said, it's hard to kick against the bricks, ain't it? <laughs> I tell you, we've been fighting greenbriars all week. Big as your thumb. Great big old greenbriar. You don't want to kick one. You don't want to get mad and grab it. <laughs> It's hard to kick against the bricks, ain't it? Oh, my soul. Blessed is that man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. Draw you. He told those Jews, don't murmur. No man can come unto me except my father draw him. It's written in the Scriptures. They shall all be taught of God. They're going to be taught of God. God won't teach them. You can't teach a natural man anything. But boy, you can when God gives him eyes to see and ears to hear, you can teach him. He'll, he'll sit up. I remember Jesse before the Lord saved him. He was sitting there on that bench. and You know, he used to come with his mama and got a free meal on that day. Preacher would come visit and they'd get a a meal after church and he pleased his mama in coming and everything's going just great. And then I come here to pastor, he had to come every week. And he run out of counting ceiling tile and this and that. Boy, I tell you, God in his providence got a hold of that boy. Got a hold of him. I looked out there one day and he was gripping the back of that pew like this and his knuckles was white listening to me. Huh? You think I had that power? I don't have that power. God does. God does. He'll make you hear. I ain't listening to that guy. Oh, you will if God opens your heart. You will. You beg Him not to stop. He causes us to approach unto Him. God's mercy and peace begins in a Electing grace. God chose a people. 
They didn't do any good or evil. There wasn't nothing in them to cause God to choose them. He chose them. Chose them. He said, I'm going to save them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to keep them. They're going to be with me for all eternity. He predestinated the adoption, us unto the adoption of children. And the reason God did not burn this world to cinders in the garden is because He has an everlasting purpose of grace and He has a people that He chose and He's going to save every one of them. Paul said, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Oh, he said, I give thanks unto God for you. He wrote to the Thessalonians, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He calls you by our gospel. Is God calling you? Does God speak to you? When you hear me this morning, is God speaking to you? Are you you seeing this grace? Are you feeling this? His Spirit? Are you stirred at all? He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not that you're going to be glory, glorified, but you're a partaker of that glory, of that accomplished redemption. Every new face I see come through that door, I take heart in. Could be the God of glory is getting ready to add to His church such as should be saved. Could be. Could be. That's the only reason we're still here. All his elect not called. That's the only reason we're still here. When the last one of his elect saved, he'll fold this thing up like a paper bag. I don't know all the particulars, but I do know that God's providence sets the stage for his work. And His providence opens the door of opportunity. Bankruptcy, divorce, disease, depression, loss of work, the list is endless. I don't know what God does to a man to get him ready to hear. One man had multiple sclerosis. His name was John Housen. He was up in Ohio and his family had left him. After he got diagnosed and the disease began to really take hold of him, his family left him, his wife, his daughter, they just left him alone. He moved up to Ohio, I guess he knew somebody up there, and he moved up there and had a little house there, and it it was just going downhill and downhill and downhill and getting more and more depressed. And one morning he turned his TV on, and... uh, Brother Mayhem was on there preaching that Sunday on television, and he heard. And he he called up somebody and hired him, and they drove him up to Ashland from where he was in Ohio, drove him up there to hear Henry preach. And within a month, he was living in Ashland. 
and listening to him. And before it was over, he was making tapes and sending them out to people, those little cassette tapes. He'd record them and send them out. But years later, he said this to me after service. He said, I thank God for MS. I'd have never heard the gospel. Huh? I don't know all the particulars. I don't know what God's going to do to a man to get him ready to hear. I don't know. But I do know this. God intervenes by His providence and by the preaching of the gospel. And there's nothing more precious to a man in whom God begins a work than God's preacher. You know, he tells us in Romans chapter 10 after he said, how are you going to call on him in whom you have not believed? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, but how are you going to call on him in whom you have not believed? How are you going to believe in him of whom you have not heard? And how are you going to hear without a preacher? And how on earth is he going to preach if I don't send him? So a fact is established. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Lord by the word of the Lord. But here's what that man's going to say. It says this right in the middle of all this. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Huh? Oh, I tell you, first time I heard the gospel, I wanted to run up and kiss that man's feet. I knew God sent him. There wasn't a question in my mind God didn't send him. I knew he did. And thirdly, he intervenes by the Holy Ghost. What's the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit's work in the believer is to give him the spiritual ability to become the Son of God. He gives him knowledge, gives him revelation, convinces him of truth, convinces him of righteousness, convinces him of sin, convinces him of judgment. Not that there is one. You already know that. You have a conscience. But of judgment satisfied. Of righteousness accepted. Of you the sinner. Alright, the second thing I want you to see in our text is a sufficiency of the work. There's a general call, a call to all men everywhere to repent, a call to believe and be saved. Paul reasoned with Felix about righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come, and Felix trembled, but he wouldn't believe, and he wouldn't repent. He said, I hear you again. I hear you again, but he never did. He never did. But oh, thank God there's an effectual call in first. Thessalonians 2, Paul gives thanks to God on their behalf, saying, For this cause, thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, man's opinion. How often have I heard? That's your opinion. That's your opinion. Man's theory, man's reasoning. But he said, as it is in truth, the Word of God, now listen to this, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. How did it work? Effectually. Effectually. 
they were effectually led to repentance. Effectually constrained to believe. Effectually given an understanding. Broken to bow. Moved to desperation. I'm not a desperate preacher. You will be if God gets a hold of you. God the Holy Spirit effectually reveals the truth about Christ and shows us the sufficiency of His work and we're led of the Spirit to rest in Him. Well, what's this preaching all about? This preaching is to point you to Christ. Salvation's in Him. It's all in Him. It's always been in Him. It was put in Him before the foundation of the world. It was prophesied of Him throughout the Old Testament and pictured in types and symbols. It was accomplished by Him on, on Calvary's cross. It's preached to you through the Gospel. And it's made effectual by His Spirit. The sufficiency of His, of his work. And then thirdly, I want you to see this. He shows us the length of the work. <laughs> he said, being competent of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you, going to let you go somewhere down the road. No, that ain't what that says. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He's never going to quit. Paul said, what's going to separate you from the love of God? Huh? Thing present, thing past, things in the future. Distress, poverty. What's going to separate you from the love of God? What's going to make God quit loving you? <laughs> Nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Paul said, I'm confident. He'll perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. And know this, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. And there are two inseparable truths established concerning that doctrine of perseverance. The first is perseverance. We are not of them who draw back under perdition. We're not going to let go. Oh, we quit. We're throwing the towel. Peter did. He said, I'm going fishing. He went and got him, but he didn't draw back to perdition. Lord didn't let him. Came and found him. There, there's two inseparable truths perseverance and preservation. Peter said, We're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Kept by the power of God. Why do we persevere? Because we're being kept. That's why. Men and women persevere in the faith because he which hath begun a good work in you keeps right on performing it. And I know people make the mistake salvation is not an isolated act. It's not something that happens somewhere along the way. You know, I got saved. I hear that all the time. I got saved. It's not a, it's 
Somebody said it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, that, but that's how people use it. Or an insurance policy in case something goes wrong. Salvation's life from the dead. You hath he quickened who were dead. Dead spiritually. He's, he's light out of darkness, revelation out of ignorance, peace out of conflict. That work, that glorious work in 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10, Paul said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death. Now watch this. And doth now deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. That's a continual work. He began the work, he performs the work, he sends that he makes you to understand that work, and he maintains that work, and he keeps right on maintaining that work, clear to the day of Jesus Christ. God has set the means of our preservation in place and teaches us to take advantage of it. What God sets out to do, He does. What He's purposed to do cannot fail. What God has determined will be done. His work is effectual, sufficient, and can never fail. And here's my confidence, Paul said, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Work out your own salvation. That's what Paul told him. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. For it's God that worketh in you. Both to will and to do of His good pleasure. He hath begun a good work in you. A good work. You know, when I think of good, I'm on a scale. And it's not at the top, but good's up there pretty high. That, that's the way that rich young ruler thought. He come to Christ, he said, good master, and boy, he stopped him in his tracks. He said, why callest thou me good? There's none good but God. If you're talking about a good work, you're talking about good as God. This is a perfect work, a good work. An irresistible work, an eternal work, an unchangeable work. And then lastly, I want us to see the glory of the work. He tells us in our text he will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. There was a day when Jesus Christ appeared in this world exactly as God had purposed. Exactly at that time when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. There was a time before determined, and when that time came, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And he accomplished the redemptive purpose of God. And we're presently living in what some call the gospel age, the day of grace and mercy, a time when God will call his people to himself and call them out of darkness into his marvelous light. 2,023 years ago, our Lord rose from the dead, ascended back into glory. With all power in heaven and earth given to him, he sends his evangelists and pastor teachers out to preach. Every invitation, every open door 
is to me a providential opening of the door. Somebody called and said, could you preach for me next Sunday? Isn't that a door? Isn't God opening that door? I didn't ask for it. But soon that door of mercy and grace will come to an end. He said, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump. That's how fast. The day of Jesus Christ shall be at hand and at His name and in the light of all that He's done and with all of His elect around Him. Every eye is going to see Him of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And unobstructed by sin and ignorance and deceit. Every tongue, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All them satanic angels, they're all going to confess it. They're all going to see it like they never saw it before. And they're going to say everything He did, He did to the glory of God. He's Lord. He's Lord. And they go bow to Him. And I can't imagine the horror of knowing the truth, seeing Him who is the object of our hatred toward God, seeing Him in whose saving glory we've heard. And then going away into eternity. Damn. Separated from God. Paul said, Exhort one another while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And that day, we'll see the glory of His work, His person, His mercy and grace as never before. Never before. We see through a glass dimly now, don't we? Boy, then you're going to see him face to face. Every eye's going to see him. What holds us back from rejoicing in him now? Uh, nothing but sin and unbelief. That's all. All right, thank you.